Welcome to Be Set Free, the radio outreach of Whitefields Community Church in Longmont, Colorado. Be Set Free features the teaching ministry of Pastor Nick Cady. Pastor Nick's desire is to bring the gospel into our lives so we can experience the joy and freedom that can only be found through Jesus. Today's message comes from our series, The Trouble Is. Here's Pastor Nick. Go ahead and take your seats. So glad that you're here with us this morning. If you have your Bible with you, would you please open with me in your Bibles to the book of Genesis, first book in the Bible, book of Genesis chapter 50. It's the last chapter of the first book of the Bible. Genesis chapter 50. If you like to read the Bible on your phone, we encourage you to use the YouVersion Bible app simply because in there we put some live notes that you can follow along with. And in this series we're in right now, that's more important than usual because we put a lot of extra stuff in there that might not be on the screen. We're in this series right now called The Trouble Is, in which we're addressing some of the more difficult questions that people ask, the things that when we ask people, what do you struggle with when it comes to embracing Christianity or believing Christianity? These are the responses that they gave, and we're responding to those and hoping to uh, give some answers and remove some of those perceived barriers. So let's begin by reading our text this morning, and then we'll, we'll get into it. Our topic, by the way, is suffering and evil today, okay? So we're going to read from Genesis chapter 50, starting in verse 15. When Joseph's brothers saw that their father was dead, they said, it may be that Joseph will hate us and pay us back for all the evil that we did against him. So they sent a message to Joseph saying, your father gave this command before he died. Say to Joseph, please forgive the transgression of your brothers and their sin because they did evil against you. And now please forgive the transgression of the servants of the God of your father. Joseph wept when they spoke to him. His brothers also came and fell down before him and said, Behold, we are your servants. But Joseph said to them, Do not fear, for am I in the place of God? And check this out, verse 20. As for you, you meant evil against me, but God meant it for good, to bring it about that many people should be kept alive as they are today. This is God's word. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word, and we, we ask that as we study it this morning, as we get into it, Lord, you give us spiritual insight, that we would really understand what it is that you're speaking to us through it, and Lord, that we would be able to apply it to our lives. And so, Lord, we pray for, for uh, anybody here who's struggling with questions or doubts, Lord, may, may some of those questions be answered today, we ask, but in everything, may we be moved closer to you and closer to embracing you as our Lord and as our Savior and embracing the good news of the gospel for us in Jesus' name. Amen. So again, we're in a series called The Trouble Is. And in this series, what we, what we usually do at Whitefields actually is that we, go, we like to go through books of the Bible. So recently we just finished a study through the book of Hebrews in the New Testament. It's a longer study. And starting in two weeks' time, we're going to begin another book study. We're going to be studying the letter to the Romans, which is one of the greatest books in the Bible. We're very excited about that. We're going to go through it verse by verse and chapter by chapter. But right now we're taking six weeks to do something which is a bit abnormal for us, but also very important. It's important that sometimes we take a break and do stuff like what we're doing. What we're doing is we're taking six weeks to address and answer some of the toughest questions and the biggest issues that people have when it comes to Christianity, things that people really struggle with. And in preparation for this series, what we did is we took a poll. We took a poll online and we 
asked everybody we knew to share it. And we asked people, what is it that creates the biggest hurdle for you in embracing Christianity? And in this series, we're addressing those things that people said, these are the real issues that I'm struggling with when it comes to faith in Jesus or embracing Christianity. And really our hope with this series is that through this, we might actually remove some of those things that people said they think this is a barrier, a hesitation, so that people can confidently and wholeheartedly put their faith in Jesus. So, so far we have looked at four things. So this is week number five of six. We've looked at the Bible. You know, is the Bible trustworthy? Hasn't it been changed? You know, does it have a dubious history? Can we really trust it? So we talked about that. That was our first week. Next week we talked about hypocrisy. Some people said, it's not that I don't know Christians. The problem is I do know Christians and they're hypocrites. I don't like them. And I wonder, can Christianity really be true if these are the kind of people it creates? So we talked about that. Then we talked about science. Does science bury God? We talked about that two weeks ago. And last week we talked about the Christ myth, which was a, for me, a particularly interesting one. If you missed any of those, or if you're interested in sharing them with other people, we want you to know that you can always listen to all of our teachings online on our website, whitefieldschurch.com. You can share them. We have a podcast. Follow us on social media. We would love for you to not only consume that content, but share it with others who might benefit from it, because we believe that these are some really important and helpful things that we've been talking about these last couple weeks. Next week, we're going to be wrapping up the series by talking about exclusivity and hell. People ask the question, how can, it, how can that be that Christianity claims to be the only way, or, or how can it be that a loving God would send people to hell? We're going to address those questions and see what answers uh, the Bible leads us to, and then again after that, we're going to study uh, the book of Romans. But this week, we're looking at a topic which ranked very high in our polls. It ranks high in all polls that are done like ours, which ask people why they struggle with Christianity, and that is the existence of suffering and evil in the world. So let's talk about this. The, the problem is that suffering and evil exist in the world. So in a recent national poll, uh, people were asked, if you could ask God only one question and you knew for sure that he would answer you, what question would you ask him? And overwhelmingly, the most common response was, why is there pain and suffering in the world? Or some form of that, right? Like, why do good things happen to bad people? Why, why do things happen to innocent people? You know, not long ago, on a personal level, a friend contacted me kind of in the middle of the day. She was very upset and she said, look, I'm sorry to bother you. I don't usually do this, but I need to talk to a pastor like right now because I'm struggling with something. See, she had read a news article about a child who had been beheaded, brutally murdered. And she asked me, if God is sovereign, explain this to me. If God is sovereign, how can he allow things like this to happen? She said, I'm really struggling with this. I'm honestly having doubts because of this, because I don't understand how it's possible that God could be good and God could be sovereign and yet he allows stuff like this to happen. And she said, look, the Christians I know, they, they, all, they all say things like, you know, oh, we prayed and, and God helped us get this new car. Or you see like sports figures and they pray, God helped me get a touchdown. Great. But she said, how can it be that God apparently intervenes and cares about touchdowns and new cars, but there are people dying of cancer and children being abused and yet God doesn't intervene in those situations and prevent those things from happening. How is that possible? How, how is that true then? Is God truly good in that case? And as a pastor, I got to tell you, I, I deal with this question a lot. You know, recently I've been doing this call-in show. That's like half the calls I get is explain to me why, why this happened to me or what's, why, how this can be. There's a Scottish philosopher named David Hume. And it's about uh, over a hundred years ago, David Hume, a Scottish philosopher, he summarized the problem in this way. Here's what he said. He said, the existence of evil and suffering in the world creates a very big problem for Christianity. And here's why. He says, because the Bible asserts three things. Well, it asserts 
let's say two things. The Bible asserts, first of all, that there is a God. Secondly, that this God is good and loving. And thirdly, so there really are three things. Okay, thirdly, it also asserts that not only is there a God and that God is good and loving, but it also asserts that God is all-powerful and sovereign. And he says, therefore, if evil exists, which it obviously does, evil and suffering exists, then that means there are only three options. And number one, that God wants to prevent evil or he would like to prevent evil, but he can't. In which case, God is impotent. In other words, he is not all powerful. The second option is that God is able to prevent evil, but he doesn't, in which case, David Hume said, then God is malevolent, which means he's not good. He's actually a bad God. And the third option, he said, is that there just is no God. And, and that's why bad things happen, because there is no God and everything's random and nothing really, really has any meaning at the end of the day. But here's what David Hume said. He said, no matter which of these three options you choose, it's not good. The existence of evil and suffering in the world means you have to reject what the Bible says about God. Now, my question for you is, is that true? Was he correct in this conclusion that he made? And my response, of course, is I don't believe that he was. And this morning, I want to show you why that is. I want to show you why his position actually falls apart, why it's actually illogical. Because this position, he summarized it well, but a lot of us have that exact same thought. And I want to show you that Christianity gives us the only truly good and satisfying answer to the problems of suffering and evil. So before we go on, we got to recognize, first of all, that for many of us, in fact, maybe for most of us, this is not just a philosophical question. It's not hypothetical. It's not just theoretical. It's deeply personal. For some of you, it might go back to when you were a child. For some of you, it's something you've experienced in your life. You've experienced tragedy or loss or abandonment or abuse. I talked to somebody again on the radio this week who said, look, I know that the Bible says that God loves me, but I just don't believe it. And I said, well, why don't you believe it? And so I don't believe it because of the things that have happened to me. I just can't believe that God is really good and that God loves me. And I think that if we're really honest, we have to admit this, that oftentimes our personal pain is what motivates our private convictions. It's our personal pain which motivates our private convictions. Oftentimes it's the stuff that has happened to you that causes you to say, this is why I struggle to believe in God. If you ask the average person why they are skeptical about Christianity, most people, the objections they give you are not going to be intellectual or theoretical. They're going to be personal. They're going to be saying things like, I don't understand why God let this happen. I don't understand why you let it happen to me or to this person I love, if God is really good, if God really loves me. And maybe you've experienced tragedy in your life personally, and, or maybe you haven't experienced tragedy, but you look around at the world and you say, uh, all this violence, all this hatred, all this suffering that's going on, and you say, really, is it true that God is good and yet he allows things like this to happen? So when we address this question, I want you to understand this. It's, it's not just an issue of the head. It's not just theory. But for all of us, this is an issue of the heart. It gets down to not just theoretical things. It's very deeply personal. But it's not just a personal issue. It's also a biblical issue. See, the Bible doesn't shy away from this topic at all. It actually faces it head on. It addresses it directly. And it has a lot to say about it. In fact, you could even say that apart from, apart from telling us who God is and what he's like, this is the second most thing that the Bible deals with. And it actually flows out from the first. So if you ask, what's the Bible about? Well, first of all, the Bible's about who God is, what he's like. But flowing from that comes another question. Because if the Bible is, or if God is who the Bible says he is, if he's good and loving and all-powerful and all-knowing, 
then that begs the next question, well, then why is there evil and suffering in the world? And the Bible deals with this. One of the main key issues the Bible deals with. In fact, the oldest book in the Bible is the book of Job. So scholars believe that that was the first book to be written in history, chronologically. Job was the first book of the Bible to be written. And in the story of Job, here's what happens. We're introduced to a man named Job who is a wealthy person. He's a successful businessman. He has a nice family. Things are going great for him. And then in one day, he loses it all. His, his children die. His livestock dies. His family business fails. He loses everything in one day. The only thing he doesn't lose is his wife, and she's not exactly a blessing. Like, her advice to him is, well, I guess God hates you. You should just kill yourself, right? Thanks a lot, honey. Very encouraging. And then, for most of the book, though, the, mo the majority of the book is this conversation that Job has with his friends. And Job and his friends are having this conversation, which they're trying to make sense of this. Why did this happen? I mean, why, why do things like this happen to people? And the main thing Job's friends keep saying is, hey, Job, everybody knows this is the way it works in the the world. This is the way it works in life. Good things happen to good people. Bad things happen to bad people. If you're a good person and you do good things, then good things will happen. And if you're a bad person, you do bad things and bad things will happen. So they said, hey, Job, look, we thought you were a good person, but apparently we don't know you very well. Apparently you have some skeletons in the closet. You've got some secrets and some dark things that we didn't know about because look at these things that are happening to you. That wouldn't happen unless you had done some pretty bad things. And Job protests and he's like, no, 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 I swear, I promise. I, I'm not a bad person. I haven't done bad things. Uh, this doesn't make any sense. I don't understand why this is happening to me. And this goes on for quite a while until finally God interrupts their conversation and he speaks directly to Job. And here's what God says. He says, Job, hold your horses for a second. This is not how it works. You haven't got this right. This is not how it works. It's not a system of rewards and punishments based on behavior. Rather, here's the deal. There is a God, and he's saying, I am that God. He said, there's a God who is working out his plan for all of the cosmos but also for you individually and personally. And God says, and you know what? When I do things, I don't ask your permission. I don't run it by you first to find out if you're cool with it. Like, I don't always ask your permission before I do things. Furthermore, I don't always have to explain myself to you. I don't have to tell you why I do what I do. You know what, what the end game is with all of this? I just do it. But here's what I will tell you, Job. You can be assured of this. I am a good God. I care deeply about you, and I'm working all things together for good and for the accomplishment of my good and perfect plan. Are you looking for a resource to help you answer some of the most difficult questions about God in the Bible? Then we've got good news for you. Pastor Nick has written a book called The God I Won't Believe In, Facing Nine Common Barriers to Embracing Christianity. In this book, Pastor Nick deals directly with some of the biggest questions people struggle with, such as how a loving God can allow innocent people to suffer, whether God condoned genocide in the Old Testament, or whether the Bible encourages the suppression of women and minorities. Does the Bible really say that some kinds of love are wrong? And is there any actual proof that God exists or that the Bible is trustworthy? Pastor Nick addresses these topics and more in this book, which is a great resource for anyone who wrestles with doubts or has concerns about these topics. And it is a great resource for those who want to help others who have questions about these topics. So to purchase this book, search for The God I Won't Believe In, Facing Nine Common Barriers to Christianity, wherever books are sold, or visit nickkady.org. To celebrate the release of this book, we are offering a free copy of the book as our gift to any of our listeners who make a donation of any amount to support Be Set Free Radio at 
bsetfreeradio.com. And now, back to today's message. If you go to the very first pages of the Bible, to the book of Genesis, the book of beginnings, uh, it tells us that God created the world and, it, and he created it as an artist, as a loving artist. And he created it, and when he created it, it was very good. He looked at everything he created and said, it is good. But then, not even three chapters in, right? Basically, as soon as we get done, he gets done creating the world. Then all of a sudden, in the third chapter of the Bible, and then all the way to the end, we see that evil and suffering have come into the world. And nobody is immune to it. It touches all of our lives. And the Bible tells us that evil and suffering, they were not part of God's original design. They're not part of God's plan. They are actually intrusions. They are foreign elements that have come in and caused corruption and harm. But here's the really crazy thing and thing that we need to know, and that's this. The evil and suffering is not just something outside there. It's not just something out there that exists. It's not just that evil and suffering exists out there in the world. But see, evil and suffering has affected us. It has, it has worked its way into the very fabric of our being. It has corrupted each and every one of us, right? In other words, it's not just that bad things happen to us. It's that sometimes we do bad things. It's not just that sometimes people hurt us. It's that sometimes we do hurt to other people. And so the whole Bible is this story of how God is working out this great plan in history by which he is going to end suffering and evil once and for all, but without ending us. See, because God could just end it all, but in order to do so, he would just have to clear the slate. So how, the question is, how is God going to end evil and suffering without ending us? Because it's wrapped up inside of us. It's part of our, it's part of our being. And that's the whole reason, by the way, that Jesus came. It was because of this problem of evil and suffering. And the promise and the hope of Christianity is something we call the gospel, which literally means the good news. The good news that Jesus came and by his death, by his resurrection, he defeated death. And we get to be partakers in that. We get to receive that gift of his grace. And for all who do receive that gift, the day is coming when suffering and death will be no more and all things will be made new. Now, maybe you ask the question, though. You say, okay, yeah, I get that. But answer me this. Why did God even allow that to happen in the first place? I mean, couldn't he have just stopped it before it even began? And then we'd all be better off, right? Well, let me tell you, there are two important factors that the Bible tells us that we have to keep in mind in this regard, okay? Why did God ever allow this to happen in the first place? Number one, you need to remember that God is completely in control. The word we use for that, by the way, in theological terms, we say that God is sovereign, like a king. God is sovereign. He's in complete control. And yet, within his sovereignty, within, under his control, under the umbrella of his control, he has allowed a space for freedom. And the word we use for that, again, is sovereignty. So God's completely in control, but within his sovereignty, he has allowed a sphere of freedom. But here's the second thing, and, and this, is, this is what it is. It's that in order for God to reveal his glory and his love, he played out this drama of salvation. You see, through this drama of redemption, of sin and, and salvation and Jesus coming into the world through sending Jesus to save us, God revealed himself to us and invited us into a relationship with him that we could never have had otherwise. We come to know God in a way that we never would have known him as who he is if this, hadn't, if this drama had not played out, if evil had not come into the world. He invites us into a relationship with him as Savior, as Lord, which we would have never experienced if this had not happened. 
happened. What we're going to do is we're going to look at this story of Joseph and we're going to see how this story illustrates this point very vividly. But before we go any further, I want to take a second. We're talking about the Christian response to suffering, right? But let's take a minute and let's say, what are some of the alternatives? What, what do other worldviews and religions say when it comes to this question of evil and suffering? Because here's the thing. Evil and suffering isn't just a Christian problem. This is a human problem. Like no matter what you believe, no matter what your worldview, you have to deal with the issue of sin and evil and you have to give a response. Why is it there? What is the solution? And so let's look at some of the other alternatives, how other faiths, worldviews deal with this question of evil and suffering. So we'll begin by looking at Buddhism. Okay, Buddhism is very popular, of course, in the East, but it's increasingly popular in the West, here where we live. It's very fashionable to be into Buddhism. And here's what Buddhism says. Here's how you deal with the evil and suffering that exists in the world. And you deal with it through detachment. You deal with it through detachment. They would say, you need to get to the point, and you work on this through your meditation. What you need to do is, you need to get to the point where you just don't care anymore where you just don't care, where you're emotionally detached from everyone and everything in the world. In other words, they would all, they use this phrase, they say you need to kill desire. That's how you reach transcendence. That's how you reach it is by killing desire and detaching yourself emotionally from everything and everyone in the world. In other words, for example, let's say you purchased or built your dream house. It's your dream, you get it, but then interest rates go up or you lose your job or whatever and you're not able to pay the mortgage payments on your house. So you lose your dream house. And what does that cause you to feel? It causes you to feel sadness. Well, Buddhism would say, see, there's the problem. You were too attached to your house. You wouldn't have been sad if you wouldn't have, been, wouldn't have been so attached to it. Now, that's all well and good when it comes to houses and cars and mobile phones. But what about when it comes to people? That, that's actually a very, not only destructive, it's a disastrous advice when it comes to people. Think about if you apply that same logic to your family to children, to, to other people, to relationships. Just be completely detached emotionally, transcendent. You're going to kill all desire, kill all emotional attachment. That would be a disaster, both for you and for those who love you or those who are connected to you. So this is one way of dealing with evil. Just detach yourself emotionally. But again, I want to tell you, first of all, I don't think that's possible. And secondly, even if it were possible, you should never do that. That's not even desirous. Okay, secondly, let's talk about Hinduism. Hinduism teaches karma. You know, what goes around comes around. Now, we talk about karma quite glibly in our culture, right? We say things like, hey, my, uh, your karma ran over my dogma and things like that. Like we say, hey, that person, is they got what they deserved or karma's gonna catch up with you or I'm sure that karma will repay me for the good things that I've done. But if you really think about it, Karma is a very dark teaching. It's a very cruel teaching. And I, I want to give you an illustration. I heard a story from a guy who went to India and he saw, you know, as, as you would see in India, he saw incredible poverty. He saw people begging in the streets. And at one point he saw this woman with a baby and she was begging. And so he said, I'm going to go over there and I'm going to help this lady out. I'm going to give her whatever she needs. I'm going to, you know, give her some money or whatever. And the guy he was with, the driver that he was with, told him, hey, you, no, you, what are you thinking? You can't do that. And he said, why? This lady needs help and I want to help her. And the guy said, no, 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 you, you need to understand. The, the reason she is suffering is because of things that she did in a previous life. And if you interfere, if you improve her situation, you will end her suffering and then she'll have to suffer again in another life. She'll have to go through this whole thing all over again. So you should just let her suffer it out right now and then maybe in the next life, things will be better for her. See, what karma says is something that's really quite 
cruel. And, and here's what it says. It says, when bad things happen to you, it's because you deserve it. Now, I want you to think about that for a second. Are you going to look a child in the eye, a child who's been abused and say, you deserve that? Are you going to look someone who's been raped in the eye and say, you know why that happened to you? You totally deserved it. You, you have only yourself to blame for that. Absolutely not. That is an evil thing to say. Are you going to look someone who's been abused in a relationship in the eye and say, you know what? You deserve that. No, Christianity says no way. Christianity actually deals with the badness of bad things. It doesn't trivialize them. It doesn't blame you for them. It says some things are just bad. Some things, there is such a thing as evil and it's not okay and it's not good and you don't deserve it. So no one deserves to be raped. No one deserves to be abused. Children do not deserve to die of cancer. And the Bible tells us that God looks upon the evil in this world and it grieves him to the heart. In other words, he's emotionally attached. He doesn't ever say, you deserve that. No, what he looks at, he says, he looks at the suffering and evil in the world and he says, it's not right. It's not right. And it grieves him to the heart. And the Bible tells us that God is so grieved, in fact, by the brokenness of this world that he took the most dramatic action even imaginable. He came to this earth himself. He walked on our streets. He partook in our suffering. He wept and he cried. He experienced heartbreak. He knows what it's like to be betrayed by his friends. He knows what it's like to be stabbed in the back. He knows what it's like to be loved one moment and hated the next. He knows what it's like to suffer pain. You know, the word excruciating in Latin, literally means from the cross, from the cross. He has experienced excruciating pain. God knows what it's like. God the Father knows what it's like to lose a child. You see, Jesus suffered in our place. And as a result, one day, suffering and death will end forever. That is the hope. You've been listening to Be Set Free, the radio outreach of Whitefields Community Church in Longmont, Colorado. We have three in-person services on Sunday mornings at 8, 9.30, and 11 a.m. And our 9.30 and 11 services are live streamed on our website for those who would like to worship with us online. We are located just east of County Line Road and Highway 119 at 2950 Colorful Avenue in Longmont. For more information or to hear other messages from Pastor Nick, visit us online at whitefieldschurch.com. Be Set Free is a listener-supported program. If you have been blessed by this message and would like to support this ministry, you can send a donation via check to 2950 Colorful Avenue, Longmont, Colorado, 80504, or donate online at besetfreeradio.com. 